Okay, so today's class is dedicated um, in memory of a little boy named Itai Baruch. And we mentioned him in the class once. He was born, this boy Baruch, Itai Baruch was born with identical twins. So he was one of the triplets. And he was had high, he had high risk when he was, his, mother, his mother was expecting the three of them. And the doctors at one point even thought that the babies were going to be born with deformities. And because of their low chances of survival, the doctors told the parents to abort. During the pregnancy, this little boy, Itai Baruch, had a cardiac defect. And then at 32 weeks, these three children were born. And two of the babies, thank God, 100% healthy and good. And it's about a year ago. But this little Itai Baruch, when he was six months old, he had continued heart issues. And a few weeks ago, after 10 months, um, he passed away. But as his mother describes in this text, that this little Itai Baruch inspired people all over the world to read Tehillim, to keep new mitzvot, to learn more Torah. He was an inspiration to all that knew him and many people who didn't know him. And he always remains in their hearts. So Baruch Hashem, his two brothers are healthy and good, but Hashem took his little soul right before the holiday, right before Pesach. So our class today is Lelo Nishmat Itai Baruch Ben Ariel, um, and is dedicated um, by his parents, Ariel and Dina Yusuf Zadeh. So we want to thank them very much. She said she listens to the classes all the time, and it helped inspire her during the past year. But, you know, Hashem, life is an interesting place. And life is a place where sometimes we experience miracles, like we spoke about in the class before Pesach, and I think they took a lot of clips of it and put it around in a lot of places. Um, because miracles really do happen, but challenges also do happen. And so you see this little birth, this collection of children was kind of a microcosm sometimes where life is that one child um, Hashem decided to take, but the other two, hopefully it doesn't happen often, but I mean that Hashem, the two were absolute miracles. So Hashem should bring berachat to his parents and to his brothers. And this little Itai Baruch, Bezrat Hashem, is neshama should always be elevated. He came to this earth to serve a purpose. And he obviously served that purpose and accomplished what he was here to accomplish. And now he's sitting under Hashem's throne in a very holy place because of all of the holiness that he created. And Bezat Hashem, his brothers, his, his sister, I believe, and his parents will always live on and build more and more Torah and Mitzvah in his memory. So it's a tremendous honor for our words today to be dedicated in the memory of this little boy. Okay. So, now we're in the weeks between Pesach and Shavuot. And I don't think I did it last year, but in the years past, we like to focus on Pekavot. Because I think Pekavod gives us a, an opportunity to get advice on things that sort of very practical, very real, and very much involved in your day-to-day. And today we're going to choose, and every week hopefully we're going to try and choose one Mishnah from the Pedic of that week. So this week we're in the first chapter, the first Pedic of Pekavod. And we're going to choose one Mishnah that's going to talk about a topic that I think in some regard relates to all of us all the time. And what we're going to talk about today is being indecisive. Do you know anyone who's indecisive? Never met those people. Good. 
So I used to be of the belief that there's an advantage of being decisive and an advantage of being indecisive. The advantage of being indecisive is that you think things through a little more. And the advantage of being decisive is that you make a decision quickly. Correct? I think that that's not so true. I think being indecisive comes with a lot more downside than what we just described. So we're going to look at our Mishnah here in Pekavot. We're going to ask a number of questions. Hopefully we're going to understand the topic well and then answer those questions. And I hope you'll walk away with good, strong action points. This is Mishnah Ted Zion in Pekavot in the first pedic. Amar Aban Gamliel. Rabban, excuse me, Rabban Gamliel, Rabban Gamliel used to say, Rabban Gamliel is one of the great rabbis of the Mishnah, he used to say these three things. Make for yourself a rabbi. Remove yourself completely from safek, from doubt. And don't take off ma'aser in assumptions. So we're not really going to focus on that last phrase that much. But the first two, we want to understand. First of all, make for you a rabbi. Everyone heard that phrase, right? But you didn't hear it from Rabban Gamliel. You heard the phrase, from Yeshua ben Perachia, who said it a bunch of Mishnayot before. You've heard that before. Have a friend, get a rabbi. Why is he saying the same phrase that was said only a few Mishnayot earlier? Why is he repeating the idea of make for yourself a rabbi? And the second phrase is the one that's our strongest emphasis. Histalek menasafek. Why do I have to remove myself from safek, from doubt? Histalek means like really completely remove. Why do you have to remove yourself from doubt so dramatically? And now I have two more questions. that I'm, I don't know if you've ever heard these questions before. But once you hear them, if you're familiar with Pekavot, this kind of should jump off the page. This order of Pekavot is that each, we go from generation to generation, and a rabbi from each generation, the key rabbis of each generation, have their phrases that they say. So you have the rabbi of the first generation, the next generation. Each generation, the rabbis are saying their key phrases. All of the rabbis are not called rabbis until this Mishnah. That means... Their name was Shimon HaTzadik, no rabbi. Shemaya Avtalion, no rabbi. Antignos Ish Socho, no rabbi. Yehuda Ben Shetach, excuse me, Yehuda Ben Tabai, Shimon Ben Shetach, Helel, Shamai. You never hear the word rabbi. The first time in the history of the world that the word rabbi is used is by this Mishnah. Rabban Gamliel, Rabban, which is Rabbi Gamliel. The first time we hear the name Rabban, the first time we hear the name Rabbi, is by Rabban Gamliel. Why is nobody called Rabbi before him? And he's the first one to be called Rabbi. They were greater before him than the rabbis early, always considered greater. Why are none of them called Rabbi? He's the first one to be called that. And my last question is this. Again, if you're familiar with Pekavot, Pekavot, the first Mishnah says, Moshe kibel Torah misinai. Moshe got the Torah misinai. He gave it over to Yeshua. Yeshua gave it to the elders. And each Mishnah starts with, These rabbis kiblu mehem. These rabbis accepted it from the generation before. These rabbis kiblu mehem. These rabbis accepted it from the generation before. Until this Mishnah. From this Mishnah onward, you never say the words kiblu mehem. 
accepted it from the generation before. It just says, Rabban Gamliel used to say, it doesn't say anything about him accepting the Torah from the generation before. Why? What happened here? What changed here that all of a sudden he's getting the title rabbi and it doesn't say Kiblu Mehen? We're going to try and answer that question, these questions. And I'm going to start with the Pasuk in Mishle. This Pasuk, I think, has some great advice. Mishle also was known to have a, a tremendous advice from Shalom HaMelech. And here's what the Pasuk says. Chacham Lev, a wise-hearted person, Yikach mitzvot, grabs mitzvot. Ve'evil sifatayim, but a foolish lips, yelabet, are exhausted. What does that mean? So Mitzudat David has a simple explanation. Mitzudat David's explanation is that a wise person, chacham lev, yikach mitzvot, he's just doing. You see a person who's smart, they're doing, they're moving forward, they're active, they're making things happen. Ve'evil, but someone who's a fool, He's exhausting his lips. He talks and talks and talks, but doesn't get anything done. Do you know certain people that just do and make things happen? And then other people that just talk, and you almost know when they're talking, it's never going to happen. I know this person. I know they're going to talk to talk. And I know in the end of the day, they're never going to follow through. You know people like this. Good. That's Mitsudat David's explanation. But the Malbim has an explanation that's going to fit exactly with what we're talking about. He says, why does it say Chacham Lev, wise-hearted? What does it mean, wise-hearted? And what is an Evil? What kind of fool is that? There's a lot of words for fool. Why is Evil the word? He says, here's how it works. He says, someone who's really wise, his wisdom is not just Chacham Moach. He's not just wise in his brain, but he's wise in his heart. The wisdom transforms him. And when a person's wisdom transforms him, then he's active and he's pursuing and creating and doing and moving. He's not oseh mitzvot. He's yikach mitzvot. He's grabbing things. He's active. If he's wise that the wisdom is not just in his brain, but the wisdom is in his heart, it transforms who he is. He's actively pursuing and creating and doing. But evil but someone who's a fool, he says, this is not an actual fool. This person is wise in his brain. But he's foolish in his lips. His lips are always talking this way, that way, that way, this way, that way. He knows what's right. But he's always talking this way, that way, that way. Yelabet, that person exhausts himself. And this is, I believe, the challenge with being undecided. With being indecisive, with being confused, end up being confused and exhausted. Evil Sifatayim, you talk about maybe this and maybe that and maybe this and maybe that, and you're tired. When I sometimes give classes to girls, probably one of the biggest issues they talk, I mean girls, I mean like teenage girls of that age, one of the biggest things they talk about is overthinking. They think it and 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 think it. And what happens is you go back and forth and before, here they go. You go back and forth and before anything even happened, you start to become exhausted. The other night we had family dinner in my house. You ever do family dinner? I wish I did it more. One of my biggest regrets is the fact that I didn't do enough family dinners. I mean, thank Hashem for Friday night, but 
even on a Tuesday night, a family dinner is a beautiful thing. And my kids are growing up. It's a problem. It's, but we did the other night, we did a family dinner. And in a half hour, you could accomplish more at that table with no phones in a half hour than you could in talking to kids the rest of the night. Things go back and forth, ideas. So one of my kids talks about one of our sisters who's not in the house that night. She says, you know, brother, I'll make up the name. You know, Sophia is underrated, overdramatic. Okay. I don't have any daughter's name, Sophia, but they're talking about one of them, okay? Sophia is underrated, overdramatic. Okay, we all left. And as I'm leaving, one of my sons tells me, one of my sons tells me, he says, Dad, he says, do you think that when people are overdramatic, do you think that it makes it more dramatic? When people are overdramatic, does it make it more dramatic? So I think it does. I think what happens is you have people that literally take something that's dramatic and then talk it into hysteria. Do this, do that, do that, do this. The drama, the talk that a person can create in their own life can create their own hysteria. Where you could have a situation where something's a, something you're thinking about, but now you talk about it and all of a sudden it becomes exhausting. So the problem with being indecisive is you start to talk and you start to create almost your own drama. It could be about the smallest story or the biggest story, but it starts to get you unbelievably frustrated. So indecisiveness is not just, okay, I decide today, he decides tomorrow. But he decides tomorrow, he's frustrating himself for the entire day. Let me tell you how people become indecisive. Do you know how people become indecisive? This is what they say. Psychologists say there's two things. One of them is overbearing parents. When someone has an overbearing parent, it makes them indecisive because the parent keeps like telling them what to do, what to do. So the kid starts to second guess themselves and every move they make because their parent was down their back in their childhood. You're that person? Okay. And another one is if a person somehow in their life is used to getting a lot of critique. If you get a lot of critique, what ends up happening is you just keep hearing the critique. So now every time you want to do something, you're thinking about the critique. So now what happens is, is as long as you're indecisive, you have all that critique flooding to your head. Or you have your father, what he told you 20 years ago, flooding to your head. And you have all of those voices start playing in your head. So when a person's indecisive, as long as you're indecisive, that's how long you're frustrated. So if you can't make a decision in 10 minutes, then you're frustrated for 10 minutes. If you can't make a decision for 10 hours, then you're likely in a frustrated state for 10 hours. And if you can't make it for 10 days, it's 10 days. And if it's 10 weeks, it could last 10 weeks. And it could be 10 months. It could be 10 years. That if a person's unbelievably indecisive and can't decide, they're putting themselves in a state of frustration for as long as that lasts. So that could mean you go out for dinner. I don't know, some people are like this. I think I'm one of those people. You go out for dinner, you look at the menu, you can't decide what to order. As long as you, you, you are you that person? I go when the, when the waiter, I see the waiter coming to my table, like he has no idea he's in for an interview right now. I'm going to ask him 20 questions. What's the top item? What's the best item? What's the top item? That's not a flatbread. What's, I'm going to go on and on with questions. As long as you're in that state. So you went out for dinner for two hours. As long as you're deciding what to get. Those 10 minutes, those 15 minutes are frustrating. So you went out to have a nice two hours. You now had 20 minutes of frustration in that two hours. That's if you're going out for dinner. 
I remember another example. 16 years ago, I was moving from New Jersey to move to Brooklyn to buy, and I was going to buy a house. And I remember we had two houses that were on the same block that we weren't sure which one to buy. One had an advantage that it had bigger hallways and a nicer kitchen. And the other one had an advantage that it had a driveway. <laughs> so I'll tell you in a second what I took. But I remember during those two weeks of trying to figure out which one, the prices were kind of similar, trying to figure out which one, I remember how frozen I was. I remember how that state of indecisiveness was so, I kept going back and forth, but it's a nice kitchen. I still remember the kitchen had like a lights on top of the cabinet. For some reason that was like in my head as something shop. And I was like, wow, it's a nice kitchen, but it has a driveway. Thank God I picked the one with the driveway. Thank God. I didn't know Brooklyn then. Had I known Brooklyn, thank God. And when we got there, we realized we could fit two cars in the driveway. Because once you become a Brooklyn driver, there's more space than you think. Right? There's deal space and then there's Brooklyn space. And it works. And uh, eventually, we expanded the kitchen and made the kitchen, I think, as nice as the other one. So it all worked out. But I still will never forget those two weeks. I was so gassed. At one point, I said, you know what, let me, maybe I'm going to figure it out this way. I'm going to figure out the gematria of the address. And maybe that's going to... So I figured out the gematria of one of the addresses, and it equaled together, all the numbers together equaled the word tov. So I was like, wow, that's fantastic. That's it. It's good. Nothing better than that. Then I did the math on the other address, and it also equaled tov. <laughs> so now I was like back on the couch, didn't know what to do, frustrated. But that, that time period becomes incredibly frustrating. So that's what Shalomu HaMelech is saying in his Pasuk. What he's saying is that Chacham Lev, someone who's wise, not just he's wise, he knows the right thing. But if it transforms his actions, where it's even in his heart, his emotions are on that path, he's aggressively pursuing, Yikach Mitzvot, he's aggressively pursuing good things. But Evil, Sifatayim, someone, Evil is not a real fool, that's a seal. Evil is just someone who's foolish in his mouth. That means his brain knows what's right. How many times have you been in this position where you kind of know what's right, but your mouth is confused? So you talk to this one, you talk to your sister, the other sister, you talk to your mother, talk to your friends, talk to the rabbi, then another rabbi, and you're talking all your doubts out. You're labet. You just exhaust yourself. You're just tired by the time you're done. And he says another pasuk, again from Shalom Amelach, that I think takes this point to another level. It says, Holech Betom. It's both in the 10th pedic of, of Mishle. Holech Betom, someone who goes with his simplicity, with his decision. Yelech Betach. He goes with security. There's a calmness. Umeakesh Terachav. But someone who goes crooked, Yevadea creates destruction. So again, the simple meaning of that pasuk is that if someone is deceitful and lying, it creates destruction. But the Malbin's explanation of the Pasuk is this, is that the person who knows what he's going to do and does it, now he's building. He's going confidently, he's building. But the person who's going sideways, so to speak, he's hedging his bet, 
That person, Yevadeh, just creates destruction. Says the Malbim, he ends up in the wrong path in the middle of the woods, hijacked by thieves. And that's just the mashal. The point of it is that a person wants their, when a person is moving forward, now they're building. You made a decision. You decide which house. So now once you decide which house, now you say, okay, you have the contractor there. You have the designer there. You figure out how you're going to make the improvements. You figure out what you're going to do. You're moving forward. Now you're ready to move in. You have a move-in date. Things are happening. All of a sudden, whereas the other person is indecisive, not just he took more time to decide, but spent those two weeks, two months, or two years in this state of frustration instead of not moving. So now you're not going anywhere. Now you're just stuck in your place. So now you got you lost two weeks, two months, or two years of accomplishment. So now you're not moving. You're not accomplishing. And what ends up being is you start to create frustration with other people around you. You ever meet someone who's in a bad marriage, who can't decide if they should leave or stay. And what happens is that in the first, you know, in the first two months, person's not sure and, and needs help, and everyone around them rally around her because they feel bad for her, they want to support her. But then she goes back to the guy. Then she leaves the guy. Then she goes back to the guy. When that's happening, everyone just gets exhausted from you. And they just move on. Like, Call me when you're ready. But in the meantime, I feel bad. But how bad can I feel? You're so confused. So you start to create this whole lack of movement. Whereas when someone has a decision and they make a decision, they move forward on their decision, then they start creating momentum. So it could be the smallest thing or the biggest thing. But once you start moving, once you start creating that momentum, now next thing you know, this person already built the second floor on their house. They already put a pool in the backyard. And the first person still on the couch to decide which house to buy. They say this that my former Rosh Hashiva used to say. I don't remember hearing it from him, but some of my friends have said he says, my former Rosh Hashiva is Ruben Feinstein, Ramosha Feinstein's son. He used to say, if you don't know what to do, flip a coin. And if you don't like the result, do the opposite. <laughs> that is such great advice. Because what happens is, you, 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 you say, I don't know, I can't decide, I can't decide. Let's say I'm talking about going out for dinner. I can't decide if I should get, I don't know, give me the two steaks, the, the, the skirt steak and the tomahawk steak. Okay, I can't, can't decide, can't decide. You, and then you flip the coin. The minute it lands and you say, oh, no. Then you know what you want. You want the opposite. But until you flip that coin, until you move, you don't know that you, so when you're sitting there paralyzed in indecision, you can't, you can't make anything happen. Whereas once you make something happen, you can even change your mind. But if you make something happen, you're in movement, you're creating, you're doing, you're creating a momentum. It could be anything in your life. It could be the smallest thing or the most humongous thing. But once you decide and move forward, you start to make things happen with you in your brain and your frustration and your energy and your vibe and how people react to you. So let's give a little bit of advice of how to handle this. Two steps to the advice on how to handle if you're indecisive. Step number one is eliminate small decisions. You should not be busy with small decisions. Either have a system that someone else makes the decisions or make the decisions, give yourself 60 seconds. You're out for dinner, and the end of the day, the whole point is the atmosphere. It doesn't matter which steak you got. I give myself 90, 60 seconds to decide, just pick one, move on. You know what I mean? You're, not, you're in a nice restaurant. You're not going to be picking something that's horrible. And worse comes worse, you have something that's horrible, next time you won't get it. Just make the decision. Small choices. I say this famously about, I think it was Steve Jobs and other famous people, that they, they wore the same thing every day. Because they didn't want to have the decision 
they didn't want to sit and make the decision. So I think he used to wear like black shirt and black pants all the time. So as to make it simple, because sometimes you could literally exhaust yourself before 8 a.m. This top, this that, that, the shoes, no, go back, what are you doing? Or if you don't want to wear the same thing every day, decide the whole week on Saturday night. So you got the whole week decided, you got the decision done, you made the deci- small decisions, because small decisions could take you over. You could have a small decision between deciding where, you know, like I said, what to wear, and then deciding what to eat for breakfast, and then deciding who to call first. You could really be tired by 10 a.m., and you didn't really do anything important. So small decisions, you got to eliminate from yourself, because those small decisions are exhausting you or frustrating you for no reason. Most of the times, it doesn't matter which way you go. That's why it's called a small decision. Because which steak you got doesn't really make a difference. And what you wore today doesn't really make a difference. It's not your wedding. It's a random Tuesday. It doesn't matter which outfit you pick unless you're going to... I don't mean today, today. I mean, whatever day it is. It doesn't matter. I know today is Wednesday. Um, I'm here. That means it's Wednesday. So it doesn't matter really what you chose. It doesn't matter what you chose so much. Something that doesn't matter so much... Sometimes you see a person in the process of making a decision. How many times have you, have you called your spouse and say, what should I make for dinner? And they answer, it doesn't matter. And you're insulted. It's not insulting. What it means is, I trust you. Make the decision and do it. And it's going to be great. Make the decision. The people, you're deciding dinner, you decide dinner for the whole week on Saturday night. Or at least in the morning. Because some people can literally frustrate their whole day on deciding what to make for dinner for four people. Am I describing this accurate? Yes? Is this at 100% true? So here you are, you go you're the whole day over dinner. And then you come home and two of the kids tell, call you right before, I'm not coming home for dinner, Mom. I'm, I'm not home. <laughs> what? I sat all day, made three things. One, I, of course, I couldn't decide. I made one thing for Daddy, two things for the two of you, another thing for me, and now it turns out. So that's, that's when something, when you put it in a category as a small decision, it should be made quickly, made by someone else, made in, in mass, make like I said, for the whole week on a Saturday night. But then you have big decisions. And big decisions are important that they're made the right way. And not necessarily is the quickest decision the best way to make a big decision. Because as much as you know, you said it's great to be decisive, which is what we said for the past half hour, it doesn't mean that the people who decide the fastest always decide the rightest. Something interesting I read recently about Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos gets a very long sleep every night. He sleeps a long amount of time. I don't know if it's eight hours or 10 hours, he gets a lot of sleep. He says, here's why. He says, my job is to make a few big decisions. That's my job. I'm not figuring out every book that's sent in Amazon. My job is to make a few big decisions. I need to be alert. I need to be awake. I need to be strong so that I make those decisions the right way. So when I read that or I heard that, I said, so wow, that's, the truth is, that's a great concept. Because sometimes you get so distracted by little things that the big things are getting clouded and don't have the kind of focus and energy that they need in order to be made properly. How many times have little decisions gotten in the way of a big one? So here's the advice. When you have a big decision to make, who to marry, what job to take, which house to buy, Something that's serious. Who should your daughter be date? How to support your, your son or daughter in their marriage or in something that they're doing? Something that you consider really important. So first of all, you need to be prepared. That means sleep good, eat good, 
Take a shower. Be feel good because when you're in the good, when you're in a bad state, you make bad you make bad choices. When you're in a good state, you make better choices. Because even once you make the decision, you're gonna have to massage the decision properly, and not the best you do when you're in the bad state. So sleep good, eat good, feel good. Next thing you have to do is a good old fashioned concept of a pen and a paper. Now some people do pros and cons. I'm not such a fan of pros and cons because I think sometimes pros and cons, like one list could outweigh the other but you don't see the importance. So the cons are 10 items, but the pros are two items, but the pro is you're gonna live. And the cons are a bunch of little things, like I'm gonna be annoyed and this. So sometimes they're not, it doesn't just go by how many things are on this side, how many things are on this side. Sometimes people write it down and they'll rate it. So they'll say, let's say there's five factors in a big decision. So let's say we keep using the house example. So there's five factors, uh, the cost, the location, the size, whatever, the design. Five factors. So now you put in these, you put down the five factors and you put a number for each one. So this house is a seven in this area, an eight in that area, two in this area, four in that area. This house is an eight, a 10, a 12, a zero in this area. And then all of a sudden you look at the numbers and you say, wow, the decision became easy. So it's not just pros and cons, it's kind of rating where we see. Did I say that clear enough? When you write it down, it sometimes helps you see the decision clearly. Because the problem we have as indecisive people is you just replay it again and again. You overthink it. You think overthinking is helping. It's not helping. When you write it down, you concretize it. Okay, I'm giving it real focus. I said, no, what do you mean real focus? I've been thinking about it for two years. No, you haven't been thinking about it two years. You've been overthinking it for two years. You haven't actually thought about it. Sit down for two hours, clean, good, you ate good, you feel good, the weather's good, you're smart, you're in a good state of mind, you write it down clearly, and in two hours you can accomplish more than you did in two years because you did it focused. Sometimes you need to be, and part of this, sometimes you need to distract yourself first because you're so overthinking that, that you're just, you're in this maze, you can't even get out of it. So go do something fun, I don't know, go on a vacation, do something fun, and then come back and get focused because now you're able to give it the proper energy. And then one other thing that they say in order to really make it, and it's only for big decisions, small decisions, you get out of your way quickly. But for a big decision is act almost as a third person. Because I don't know if you ever find this, but sometimes it's really easy to give advice and very hard to do it. The other day I spoke to seniors in high school about their future or whatever. And they, the girls, they were asking a bunch of questions. And one of the questions they said was, um, you know, Rabbi, how does marriage work? And I don't know, one of these types of things. So I started to give a whole description about what happens when you're frustrated. I said, I'm neat. Let's say my wife's not as neat. So you get, you get a little frustrated. So I described the whole scene of what the frustration could look like. I described the whole thing from you walk into the house at 7 o'clock and the kid's briefcase is on the floor right there with the jacket still in the briefcase. And you then the banister is... is is made out of glass, so you see the kids' finger marks on the glass. And then I started to keep going. I went into the dining room and described the whole dining room, the whole thing. And I said how you could be frustrated and then how you could do it the right way. And they were laughing the whole time, and it was the advice was so perfect. Any person was sitting there would say, Wow, Rabbi, you really said it right. That night I did it wrong. That night. And as I'm doing it, I'm getting a little frustrated. I'm like, I just spoke about this, like. Five hours ago, I just spoke about this, and now I'm messing up. I can't believe I'm doing this, because it's so much easier to give advice 
than it is to do it. So sometimes you have to pull yourself out of your own self and literally give yourself advice like a third person. Okay, you come to you. So, I don't know, Sarah goes to Sarah and Sarah says to Sarah, am I saying this right? Sarah says to Sarah, by the way, these are my two problems. This is what I'm thinking. Sarah says, okay, this is what I think Sarah should be doing. When you put yourself out of yourself, am I sounding crazy? I feel like I'm saying something crazy, but I'm saying something really right. When you put yourself out of yourself, you become much smarter. So the point is that small decisions got to go away quickly, but big decisions need the proper energy and focus. They can't be clouded by the small stuff. So when you put yourself in a good state of mind, you sit down, maybe you distract yourself first, then you write it down, and then you view it as an outsider almost would, where you're now giving advice to yourself, then you could do the best you can and make the best decision you can make. And that's all you got is the best you can make. In the end of the day, you can't make anything more than the best decision you can make. You can't know the future. You can't guarantee which house is better. You can't guarantee which steak is going to come to the table better. You could just make the best decision you can make, and that's as far as you can go. The beauty of our lifestyles, of our Torah lifestyles, is that we have a tradition. And a lot of our lifestyle is dictated by what was done before us, which, in essence, simplifies our life tremendously. And when you think about what it's like to be a regular human in society today, they don't have that. Everything is up for decision. Everything is up for decision. Where they live, we know we're going to live, basically. We have basically two blocks as an option, maybe a third, right? That's our whole story. So it's, it's not, we have, we kind of have a history and we have a tradition, whereas you don't know where you're going to live. You don't know what you're going to do at all in the world. You don't know what kind of lifestyle you're going to be. You don't even know who you are. That whole decision the tradition makes our life so much simpler. We're going to keep Shabbat. We're going to follow Torah and Mitzvot. We're going to have a family. We're going to try to raise a family. We do our best we can to raise a family, path of Torah and Mitzvot. All of a sudden, a lot of the main things are unbelievably simplified. In the days of old, the tradition was absolute. One generation gave to the next generation with no fuzziness, no confusion. It was so simple that the man handing it from one generation to the other didn't even need to be called a rabbi. Which is why the first 15 Mishnayot of Pekavot have the rabbi's names without the title rabbi. Because it just went from generation to generation, clear, simple, and straight. This Shemayah Tayon gave to Hillel and Shemai, straight. Life was very, very clear. I don't know if you noticed, but no one in the Torah, no one in Tanakh is called rabbi. Moshe, Yehoshua, Shemuel, Aharon, Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, none of them are called David, Shalomon. No one's called rabbi. Because it goes from generation to generation with clarity and simplicity. Even the generation of Hillel and Shammai had the clarity and simplicity. If you ever heard of the first famous disagreements that we all are familiar with, it's Bet Hillel against Bet Shammai. That means the yeshiva of Hillel and the yeshiva of Shammai, their students got into battles and fights. The students were the first major machlokets, major, where it was constant. Almost every issue, says a commentary, the Midrash Shemuel started with the students of Hillel and Shammai. Hillel and Shammai, you don't have the name rabbi for them. 
because they have the simplicity of the generation before and generation before and generation before. But their students, now it's confusing. Now there's debates. Now everything's an issue. Now everything's a machloket. So now we need to give the people in the Mishnah, we need to title them rabbi. The fact that they got the title rabbi is a negative because it means they're living in a confused time and in a confused generation. And in a confused time, you need the rabbis to use their rabbinical wisdom to try and decipher the truth. Whereas before that, you didn't need the rabbinical wisdom. One, ra- one generation gave to the next generation, gave to the next generation, it just went straight down. The ty- that's why our Mishnah, Mishnah Ted Zayin, Mishnah number 16 is the first one where we have Rabban Gamliel. Because he wasn't Kiblu, because it wasn't so clear that he got it straight and simple from the generation before, because it was confusing, now he needed to use his rabbinical skills to try to decipher what the truth was. So after this, the Mishnah never says, Kiblu Mehem, they accepted from generation before, they accepted generation before, because we, of course we always have the traditions, but the clarity and simplicity was gone. So as long as there was clarity and simplicity, life had a beauty to it. Once they lost that clarity and simplicity, there's no longer kiblu. It's no longer accepted from the generation before because they don't have the clarity of the generation before. Now we need the title Rabban. Now we need the title Rabbi because we need him to use his rabbinical skills to figure out the truth and the right thing to do. That's why. This rabbi's advice was make for yourself a rabbi. Why is he saying make for yourself a rabbi? Because previously you needed a rabbi to just, the the Mishnah before that says make a rabbi just meant have a rabbi who tells tells you the law. Now you need a rabbi who can help you figure out the law. Now you need a rabbi who's going to decipher and understand what the story is and what the situation is and how to handle it. So that was said previously doesn't compare to the that's said now. Because now is about having someone who could help you figure it out. You never had to figure it out before. Now you do. And therefore the next statement in the Mishnah is Do your best to remove your life from doubt. Do your best to get away from the doubt because the doubt is creating. Now, there never was doubt before. No generation had to deal with doubt. Rabban Gamliel says, this is the first generation that has to deal with doubt. I'm telling you, don't revel in it. Don't enjoy it. Don't sit in it. Don't get used to it. Don't make this your habit to sit in the state of confusion and indecision because if you're gonna, it's gonna naturally happen because nothing's gonna be as clear as it was before. So you're naturally gonna be not decided. If you stay in that state of not decided, you stalek minute, remove yourself from it as much as you can because if you stay there, you're gonna be in a state of frustration and lack of accomplishment. In essence, he's telling us the words of Shalom Melech with the Malbim's explanation that we told you before. That if you start to have the conversations and the confusions and then you hedge your bet and you can't figure it out, you end up in just this exhausted place. But if you're moving forward, you have a rab, you have someone who can give you advice and then you take it and you go. When you're moving forward, when you're making something happen, you don't can't even imagine the kind of momentum that starts to be created. So in your life, if you're a decisive person, that's great. 
Maybe you should have a little more patience sometimes, but overall, it's a great thing to be. But if you're an indecisive person, which a lot of us are, if you're an indecisive person, come up with the tools to not stay that way. Because you stay that way, you don't realize how many hours, how many days, how many years of your life you're giving away to the confusion. So all of a sudden you turn around and someone who's, who's your friend or someone who's just like you is light years ahead because they made a decision. They chose the guy. They chose the house. They chose the job. They chose the career. They're raising their kids and you're sitting there confused and you're sort of stuck in reverse. I should. No, I shouldn't. When you don't make that decision, the frustration becomes so much more. And ultimately, in the end of the day, whatever you're going to decide, Hashem's going to have to decide whether it's going to work or not. Whether it's which guy you're going to marry. You could, you could date him from here to forever. You don't know the real story until you move in. And yes, even when you move in, you don't know the real story until 10 years later. There's, that's the, and even 10 years later, all of a sudden, twists and turns happen that you could never have anticipated. And the same thing is true with the house, and the same thing is true with the job, and the same thing is true with your kid's spouse, the same thing is true with most serious things. As much as you think you're in control, sometimes it's a joke, because Hashem is. I saw something, I was reading a little bit about Jewish history over Pesach, and I saw something that I think was a little bit incredible. There is a yeshiva that's known as the mother of all yeshivot. It was called, it was in Europe, called the Valajan Yeshiva. The yeshiva of Valajan is considered the mother of all yeshivot. The concept of a yeshiva, the way we have it today, was started and invented by the Valajan Yeshiva. This was the case for many, many years. During this time in Europe, this is in the 1800s, during the time in Europe, there's an enlightenment movement. There's a Haskalah that's pushing its way. And they were trying to really change the yeshiva and make it completely different. In the year 1892, the the rabbis of the Valajan yeshiva decided to shut the yeshiva down and close it. It was a dramatic decision. All yeshiva students today know the story. They decided to close the yeshiva. They decided to close the yeshiva because of how secularized the government was forcing it to be. It was a dramatic story. Like, and, and you say, wow, they closed a yeshiva. That's a crazy thing to happen. And it was very controversial and highly discussed. Is it worth it? Is it not worth it? They made a decision to close the yeshiva. What's cool is this, is that there's a town in New Jersey that if you go to that town, that town ended up becoming a town that revitalized Torah in the United States of America. That town ended up having first dozens, then hundreds, then thousands, by now tens of thousands of yeshiva students, all in the path of the Balajani yeshiva. What's cool about that town, the town of Lakewood, is that if you walk into the town, you'll see that it says, there's a sign there that says, established in 1892. The exact year that Valajan was closed, Hashem opened up the seeds for something else. Because decisions are tough, but ultimately they're in Hashem's hands. And ultimately, He decides how things go. You could sit and and become, this guy, that guy. You could have a hundred things that could be factors in your head. Sit down, get rid of the small stuff, focus 
write it down, make a decision, and when you're done making a decision, turn to Hashem, say, Hashem, now it's in your hands, but I'm ready to move forward. And whatever area that is in your life that this applies to you, make that decision and move it forward. Because once you move it forward, you start to create momentum. Chacham Lev, a wise-hearted person, is Yikach Mitzvot, is generating and creating momentous things. At the time and the generation where confusion began, Rabban Gamliel taught us, make sure you don't stay in the state of indecision because you'll be putting yourself in a state of frustration. Instead, make a decision and build momentum. Thank you.